The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 224 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com. You can also find me five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this here podcast, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today. Um, as per usual, I guess, as, as of the norm, as of late. Well, I haven't been around as of late, but uh, I will briefly touch on that in a second. But uh, it's Friday morning. Uh, weigh-ins just happened. Uh, yeah, Friday, May 11th. Uh, everyone's on weight except for Mackenzie Dern. She is uh, seven pounds over, coming in at 123. I have not seen the weigh-in video yet. I was going to queue it up, but my, my computer is running hot, so I don't want to. I don't want to tempt the gods of, of, of technology, as they are already so kind to me. So, uh, but but yeah, everybody else is officially on. Um, her opponent, Bobby Cooper, looked good. You know, uh, I, I, I think I had a brief window to change my pick. You know, I, I really do think I did this morning before submitting my stuff. And I, I was itching to pick against her even through my honest analysis. But, uh, but we'll get to that fight later. The, uh, I left it the same. I left the pick and the analysis the same. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that here. But, uh, but yeah, we'll get to that fight later. As normal, we will go from bottom to top. Um, usually, I recap from the week before, but there was quite the break. And, uh, and yeah. And and so, there is not going to be no recap. And, uh, in fact, I'm actually going to, even though I usually like to do a little bit of a recap, uh, not just because of time constraints, but just, who wants to hear me, bitch? I really am sick of it. Um, it's pretty much just the same old shit. Dan Thomas is still alive. Uh, just still still testing, still searching. But, yeah. Um been struggling, obviously, uh, uh, lately, so just not in a good place to, to feel like, uh, to be sharing stuff, so I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to draw that any over, over for any of y'all, but, 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 of course, once the, the fights start coming, at least the UFC cards, uh, people start asking questions, the podcast's gonna be up, and I appreciate that, man, I really do, it really feels good, um, you know, it, it, it sucked being away, I, 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 it doesn't seem like it. It feels like I put this thing on the back burner, but believe you me, as Michael Bisping says, th- th- this podcast is one of the favorite parts of my job. And you know, you got to remind your remind yourself uh, remind yourself that when something like you know get, keeps getting pushed to the back burner. And uh, so I apologize to the listeners. In other words, uh, my long winded apology there. But but yeah, that, that's why I was away. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, your positive vibes were appreciated, and they are welcome. Because I'm not out of the woods yet. I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, uh, yeah. All right. So, moving on. We got UFC 224. UFC's back with the pay-per-view. Um, I'll save the criticisms aside. Probably going to run about 45 minutes here until my alarm goes off. And then i got to get to to work. Uh, but uh, my betting article uh, is not out yet. The By the time you're listening to this, the main card breakdown with my pick should be out. But... You know, as per usual, you usually get some bonuses by listening to this. They're not bonuses, but more in-depth uh, thoughts uh, for this podcast. But uh, the way it works out, not usually. Usually my, my betting article is about out or at least submitted by the time I'm even recording this thing. But uh, everything's been just so so jambled, jumbled up. Uh, took, on a, took on a project last week. Hopefully you guys dig it. I, I did a... A breakdown on on the PFL, uh, all the divisions. Uh, by the way, it's pinned pinned to my profile right now at Dan Tom MMA on Twitter. Uh, pretty much the, just a lean on the divisions. Uh, you know, sleepers to watch, top picks, and you know, favorite to win, which seems silly because it's so. It's, whether it's a, a talented rich division like lightweight or featherweight, or a division like middleweight or heavyweight, um, it's competitive for for you know, for you know, for the existing pool. You know, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, but anyways. Uh, Go check that out, and if you have questions on, I, I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to write about all the fighters, but 
Uh, I did. Oh, I did do all the research. Believe you me. Uh, sorry to use that one again, but um. So yeah, if anybody you know, especially you degenerates, come uh, come gambling time when the odds are released on those, um, go check out that article or check it out before so you can get a jump. And uh, any any questions any of the fighters, you know, feel free, feel free. As as you know, uh, I may not be on Twitter as much. Just just trying to limit my social media lately. Uh, same with the Instagram and everything. Just. Just really trying to limit in and focus. Um, not going to complain about you know busy schedule. Instead, I'm just going to try to be proactive about it and just just cut things as I as I can. But uh, as you see, uh, I'm still not shy to, to talk uh, talk shop, talk fights, analysis, even betting, as I was doing even earlier a couple days ago this week um, uh, with 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 some of you fellow degenerates on Twitter. So again, thanks for chiming in there. Uh, always always appreciate. All right, well, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Starting from the bottom on uh, Fight Pass, we are in Rio. That's right. Are we in Rio? Yes, Dan, we are in Rio. Dummy. Uh, we have Marcus Perez, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Brazilian Connor Fashion McCore McGregor versus uh, James Babaknovic. There, if you remember uh, him. Uh, excuse me. <coughs> ah. And my cough reminds me that I forgot to take my nasal spray, an allergy that's supposed to help that. Hmm. Good job, Dan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, James, Bob Baknovic there. He got uh, iced by uh, Trevin Giles back back at uh, back in July at UFC 213, I believe. I don't have it right in front of me. Um, but uh, as per usual, Dan takes all these notes like like fucking Kevin Spacey from Seven. I'm like up to like seven stack books page to page, and most of the time he doesn't have them in front of him when he records the podcast because he is like fucking rain man at the same time anyways uh but uh it's good that he took the break you know he's a big guy six four cutting down to 185 um so you know it cease to remain how much he'll he'll be able to take the shots there will be counter shots hence the 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 conor mcgregor reference there to, to marcus perez as uh as as I as I joked before, uh, you know, he looks like you watched some Conor McGregor tape. And says, I don't get a cool haircut and, and throw counter cross, throw spinning stuff, and he's like, to his credit, he's actually really he's really athletic, uh, especially for a middleweight, and that'll take you far in a division that eh, doesn't have a lot of standout athletes or the athletes that do stand out because there's just not a lot of your typical. Mm, prototypical explosive athletes or whatever stereotype uh, trope you want to put. But yeah, not a lot of that middleweight, right? Especially, you know, certain certain genres of middleweight, um, depending on what division, what time period we're talking about. But yeah, so the athletic thing is going to suit him well. He is only, I think, 27 years old or so. So, I mean, the dude's got room to grow. So I, I, I talk shit on Marcus Perez, but, but believe, me, uh, believe me, it's uh, not a – it's not like a, a – uh, Gosh, words escape me. I didn't take my alpha brain either. Uh, boy, Dan, it begins with a D. But yeah, it, it, it begins with a C because it's not, not condemning him um, or anything like that. Definitely room for growth. But uh, he is deserved to be the favorite. I don't know about minus 310, though, because right now he's minus 310 to a plus 255 comeback on an old Baknovic there. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, even, even the inside distance, the line is, is chalk. It's, it's, it really off. So for that reason, I, I put it on my avoid list, you know, um, if people are high on Perez, it's not worth, uh, betting him. Or if you're like me, you're not sold on him yet. You know, um, uh, like I told a friend on Twitter, I said, uh, Hey, best bet here. If you don't believe in Perez, if you're not a Perez believer, then your best bet is actually to hope that he does well. Against a guy who, you know, he's going to do better than what he showed, uh, James Baknovic, but, Baknovic. but uh, you know, if you really look at his, if you really look at, you know, the way he shoots and stuff, he, he's dangerous when he's on top and he uses his size well, but, but, but standing it on the feet and, you know, again, shoddy regional footage, not against the best sample size for Baknovic, but uh, yeah, there's not exactly the ceiling is the word I'm looking for and it, it doesn't look high, right? So he should be favored. I could see him getting it done inside, maybe clipping him with a counter, uh, maybe him getting the sub if he hurts Baknovic, right? Or just kind of outpointing him to a decision. Perez knows how to survive and stay away from a guy's strength. I um, mean, he showed that in his fight with Eric Anders, which I think is kind of overinflated, kind of like 
we talked to Anders on MMA Junkie Radio, and it's like it's hard to finish a guy who doesn't want to be finished. I think that's what kind of that was. But the window dressing makes it look more less, you know, more excusable. And just like the window dressing, when I'm talking about window dressing, I mean the flair, the fashion, the the pizzazz, if you will, that Marcus Perez adds on his strikes um, also inflates the line and perception of him. So that's my opinion on it. We'll see. I'm staying away on the avoid. Also on the avoid list, uh, Ramzan Amiv minus 200. I want to say it was a little higher but came down to earth. And I also expected it to grow a little higher against Alberto Mina plus 170. Ramzan Amiv, of course, Goretz fight team. Not just, you know, Dagestani guy, but Goretz fight team. One of the teams uh, I expect, uh, you know, a lot of their fighters, uh, Rashid Magomedov. And, uh, oh, my God, I'm sorry, I broke down like 17 Magomedovs in the PFL tournament. So excuse me, but another one I, I, I selected to win it also comes from the Goretz uh, fight team. Is it Yusup? I don't know. Jesus Christ, there's too many Magomedovs. The Magomedov hashtag. Um, but, you know, for, for that reason, and then you got Alberto Mina, an older guy, 36 years old, shoddy sample size, only fights once a year kind of a thing, hasn't fought, you know, in, in almost two years now. Oh, easy fade, right? Even if he's in Brazil, you know, not necessarily. It's it's tough. Uh, Mina is 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 one of those guys where he you know you look at early in his career and you're like he's kind of a wonky, lanky striker, but he kind of makes it work. Maybe he has deceptive pop in his shots. Maybe he's timing it just right. Maybe he's just one of those guys. Well, I don't know. You know, you know, he fights so much. I mean, that guy was pretty decent that he fought there in Europe. And okay, well there there's this guy over here. But you know, now we got Shinso Ansai. You know, that guy doesn't fight that much. That guy's got a shoddy sample size too. And it just gets really fucking. You get start getting real deep in the forest, right? When you start looking at at at, at uh, sorry the proverbial sample size of a guy like Alberto Mina. And yeah, you criticize Mike Powell's chin, sure. Um, you know, he, he was already hitting forty when he fought him, right? Yeah, for sure. I get that. But Mina's striking and his technique and his flow did look better, you know, uh, splitting between Kings MMA and Hong Kong. And even just looking at his Instagram, it's just as confusing when I was doing study on him years ago uh, for those previous fights. And, and you know, uh, the Mina and the Akiyamas where he does deceptively well, right, with the grappling, wrestling, and clinch. Does deceptively well in striking when you don't think he's going to. Um, he's just that guy. So who knows what he's been doing. And especially these guys that are doing coaching. They're taking time off, but they're also focusing on martial arts and picking their spots. I mean, it might not be the best career business move. Probably for sure isn't the best career business move. Scratch that, right? But as far as if you're content and have enough money and just are content with just being that martial artist dude that you're just fighting for the fun of it and you actually get to rest your body as an older, like I said, 36-year-old guy um, and then come in and select your fights at your convenience, well, from a winning and comfort percentage, you see why this guy can go and travel around the world and just be... I'm fine. He's he's already traveling around the world teaching, so he's got the traveling, the staying active part between these fights. You know, so it's it's real deceptive is what I'm saying. Whereas Ramzan Amiv, I came across Ramzan Amiv probably a couple of years ago um, against uh, Vasily Vilichevsky. Sorry, I'm brutalizing the name, and that's the guy I was actually doing a scouting report on, and that's how I came across Amiv. Uh, and he's the one guy who TKO'd Amiv. If you're doing a quick sure dog search there, uh, he's the one one TKO loss on Amiv's record. Is a respectable one because uh, that dude's a beast. But you know, Amiz really well put together. Uh, you know, the the volume, even when he's winning, you know, there's definitely more to be desired, which seems to be a common criticism of those those type of fighters. But as far as staying on balance, keeping you know within himself, not overextending himself, he does a good job. You know, but as we've seen with these guys like Ankalaev or whatever, I mean, they're not beyond reprieve, right? Um, or, yeah, so, against a guy who is, is an upset guy, kind of like Mina, it just seems it just seems like a stay away. In fact, that's why I actually have Mina on my. Uh, it's gonna be on my fantasy list there. Um, all right, uh, Jack Hermanson minus one fifty five, Talis Lachis plus one thirty five. Um, you guys know I've, I've always been big on Hermanson. That's no surprise. Uh, I've been high on him since his debut. Uh, just 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 watching him through the regional scene. Um, he, 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 he always had that, you know, cage warriors. He always had that kind of demeanor where I, I talk about these guys like, uh, you know, Conor McGregor was the obvious example, but, uh, another guy from, uh, it's trained over at frontline. Fuck. Emil Meek has it too, where they have that attitude intangible, which is real important for having a good debut. And of course, just success in general in the UFC. 
Um, and, and I want to see Hermanson has that. But then, you know, you see, and he was really open about it, credit to him, but talking about anxiety issues that he dealt with and like, wow, you wouldn't even recognize it from before. Um, you just think maybe he had a bad performance here or there if he went back in his regional record. And you're like, that's his regional record. So I never really put too 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 much weight into that, right? But then you saw it in his, his trips to Brazil. He admitted it with the Sao Paulo trip. And he's like, you know, against... And then he goes against Mahata Santos for a second trip there. And he's like, I'm not going to... Because he lost to Cesar Ferreira as a two-to-one favorite, right? And then uh, he goes back against Thiago Santos and, and just gets iced. Doesn't look like himself. And Santos is a beast. And Santos was on his run and... So, I mean, there's not, not too much shame in that, right? And I think it was more just me getting burned. So I, I was picking Hermanson straight up going in, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I was staying away from a play. It was my initial lean. This is before I got to analysis. And, but I was talking to, uh, to, to, to a homie I, I, I very much respect, um, just kind of behind-the-scenes shop talk. And, just, and uh, you know, he, he was kind of just, just stating his cases and, and, and sides on both sides and and uh, he was strong on Hermanson. Uh, just leave it at that. And uh, and and uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I got, I, I gotta see, I gotta see. Uh, but uh, I was admitting, you know, you just I've talked about it on here. It's funny. None of us are beyond it. We can all talk about all the analysis, all the tape study, all the bets, or whatever we want to pump our chest about. Really, we're all vulnerable to the same biases, and especially when it comes to overcorrecting the steering wheel. This is what I talk about on this podcast a lot. When you get burned. One way, and especially when it's like a similar theme, similar guy. Um, another person that was on that same last card who was facing a similar theme was Rob Fawn. He lost to Lineker. He's like, I'm going to come back against Pedro Munoz. I'm going to correct it. And he's had a really bad performance, right? He gets rocked, and then he shoots for a takedown on Pedro Munoz. He's like, you know, just crazy stuff. So those things kind of get imprinted into your head. But once I actually watched the footage and got past that, um, I actually, I, I was actually surprised the line hasn't moved up higher for Jack Hermanson, and he actually is probably going to make my straight play uh, on uh, tomorrow's betting uh, betting article over at MMA Junkie. Um, minus one fifty five is a very playable line, but m- more importantly, latest, uh, who I was a big fan of, especially when he was beating Bosch and Carmon, and kind of had that second renaissance. But that was a while ago, and that renaissance was over, and, and that renaissance even was pretty unexpected when you look at a. A guy like uh, Leitez, right? You know, like, where, where, where was this, if you go watch his first run in the UFC and, and even the work he did after, you're like, where, where, where was this, you know, then? It just, he had this, you know, renaissance. Um, and, and, and has stayed strong with Nova and Yao um, ever since. And he's been competitive in these fights from even the Bisping loss, you know, to other uh, uh, other fights. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can also make the argument that if he didn't, hurt Sam Alvey's pre-injured ankle with the first kick in that fight that, you know, he, he let's say he lost that fight, then he's on, what, like a five or six fight losing streak again. Dan, Dan Tom's terrible, and I probably should have this in front of him. I'm clicking on it now, but but yeah, and, and then also, even though he has improved his striking, the striking he improved upon and the style that he adopted upon is, 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 is one of the more effective styles, of course, being Muay Thai, but it's one of the also more basic and predictable Forms of Brazilian Muay Thai right hand, left hook, leg kick, you know, like their, you know, iteration of, of the Dutch stylings, right? T- taken over. Um, but except uh, a little more plotting, like like many of his stable mates and, and, and counterparts. And when you have the athletic time reflexes to hit the counters and the knockout power or the, the wrestling, like a Jose Aldo's or the Hennon Burrows in their prime, then that's fine. But when you don't necessarily have the knockout power or, you know, he is, he does actually have, have a deceptively heavy hands. That is the last thing to go, but it's not, not necessarily known for it. And we haven't seen it in a couple of years. I'm not going to toss any speculation of that. It's just thinking out loud. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know I mean? And then against a guy like Hermanson, who he's got a nice long jab. It's now it's not as good as Tavares's jab. I don't think it's going to be as effective as Tavares's jab, uh, nor his leg kicks or anything like that. But, Hermanson is very mobile and kind of uses his jab to get his opponents to draw. He kind of draws with his jabs, kind of draw him into his counter hooks, uh, counter crosses, uh, kicks, or mostly, most importantly, even uh, takedowns, which don't be surprised if he takes Latus down again. Um, Latus has has a good guard, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but Latus is also one of these guys who I feel 
is one of the not all Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts are created equal. You know, we'll get to that with Jacare Souza, but uh, I, I believe Leite is one of those guys that just it, it, it doesn't translate as well out of the gi as it does in MMA, even with this crazy experience now in MMA. I just I, I just still don't feel it's just as strong. And against a guy like Hermanson, uh, it was really good. Uh, submission grappling. I mean, that's, that's, that's the part of his game that I, I love the most off his back too. Even, um, I think he'll be okay if it does go there, you know, especially you see, you saw, you know, Yacht Coast survive there. Um, and just, just, you know, Leitez is more, gets his takedowns from the clinch. He's not, a, again, he's not a reactive takedown shot guy. I like, kind of, you know, curtail with the wrestling there. Um, and the clinch, well, that Greco, Greco Roman wrestling is Jack Hermanson's base. I mean, that that's where he's strongest, and he's a, he's, a, he's he's good inside the clinch. It's a safe spot. So, I just seem kind of outpointing him everywhere and, and taking a decision. So that's that's that that's that's probably gonna end up on my uh, on my pick there. Um, all right, uh, moving over to, are we still on fight pass? Yeah, we're still on fight pass. Um, this is one where I'll probably end up on opposite sides of most people, especially according to the odds. Uh, Worley Alves minus two forty and Sultan Aliyev plus two hundred. I know I feel like I pick on Worley Alves when I use him for the third round examples, and I picked against him, a, you know, qu- quite a bunch of times. But uh, I was I was very fair to Worley Alves going into his last fight. I mean, not that he was going against the most named opponent. I, I get it, uh, and very complimentary of him since. Uh, I think he's showing improvements. I think he's matured. But when I went back, it wasn't as much improvements as I, as maybe I suspected. I mean, um, I want to say the gentleman was somewhat of a, a short notice. Again, uh, he, deceptively tough talent over in Poland, knockout power, very athletic guy, right? A guy that Worley definitely, no shame, definitely needed to respect. And he fought a smart fight. He showed that he had the cardio, showed he could fight a well-rounded game. He did. He, he did all the check boxes, right? But he, oh, he's still clock checking. He's a, he's a. He's just Rick James, a habitual line stepper. Worley's a habitual clock checker. He's a habitual clock checker. He loves checking that clock. Check, 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 check. <sighs> Sorry, Worley, but you check that clock. Um, and uh, and uh, when you look at the takedowns, you know, it, 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 it's hard. You can make the argument that, he, sure, he's only been taken down by guys like Colby Covington, who love or hate Colby Covington. He's a damn good wrestler. Or um, Kamaru Usman. No fucking shame, right? But uh, when you look at his wrestling, the way he's doing well, it's usually offensive wrestling, and it's usually offensive wrestling at times in the fight against guys in general that he should be doing well against. And Worley, that actually is an underrated part of his game to his credit. I mean, you want to, you want to, if you want to stereotype him as a Muay Thai brawler, but he actually always, if you go back even watch him on his uh, tough Brazil run, I mean, the dude's always been a well-rounded guy um, with good wrestling. He's not just dropping back for guillotines; he can wrestle, he can scramble. Um, he's very underrated there, so don't make a mistake that I'm underrating it, and I hope you're not underrating him there either, but wrestling gets you tired, and those fights where he was wrestling, he was either kind of on his way to working the guy over or and getting the finish, or if those fights went on, the Alan Joban fight, those takedowns and those bursts kind of kind of wore whirly down, and that's kind of been his story, right? Uh, Brian Barberina fight the same thing, um, and again, yeah, he was sure he was defending him to defend against you know uh, Kamaru Usman. That's gonna get you tired, right? And he was getting up. Credit to him. Uh, just like I always give credit to Barberina, he's getting takedown, but he's getting up. You know, if I'm gonna give credit to Barberina, you got to give credit to Worley there too. Uh, but again, that is that Salt and Olives uh, bread and butter. Salt and Olives is another guy. That the problem is the reason why this on the avoid list. The reason why I'm not playing it, even though. I'm being ballsy enough to pick Aliyev. It's not, you know, it's because, again, it, I'm confident enough to pick him, but it's not a confident pick, okay? There are levels and lines there. Hopefully you understand that, and that's where I stand on this fight. That's why it's on the avoid list. That's why there's not a play there. Um, Salt and Aliyev sample size is real sketchy. Like a lot of these Dagestani guys, you don't know what's, what, what kind of skills they're going to kind of come up with. But more importantly, um, it's not that they make these crazy skill jumps. These guys kind of fight all within a certain same style. It's just a matter of which guys have which styles, right? Are they more Rashid Magomedov, the more striking and counter-wrestling? Or are they more uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, pressure and grappling, right? Um, and then within the grappling, it's, you know, Sambo style, grappling, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Uh, but uh, but the, the thing that worries me about these guys is they will come, and Ali's done this too, they come off year, two-year layoffs, 
three-year layoffs all the time, looking fucking normal, jacked, whatever, right? Uh, and Alif's been training at American Top Team uh, in between this, this last layoff. Um, he was training there before, well before. He's up there with a lot of his guys, too, his boys, his Russian boys. So he's, he's getting the both looks, both familiarities, um, foreign and domestic, right? So, uh, yeah, I think it could be a deceptively tough fight. Worley... I don't know if it's because, like, the shakeup at X-Gym, you know, maybe Anderson not there as much with his career. And then we saw Jacare leave, right? So I'm like, well, Worley would always be training with those guys. Where's he been? I, I saw him with the same strength and conditioning guy with host for veins, but really he's been training at uh, Team Noguera and, uh, and another place, which is all fine and dandy, but from the guys that he keeps training his training partners and stuff, they all seem like Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys. I haven't really seen any wrestlers, so I don't... So, yeah, I don't know. I just... And I, I went in leaning toward Worley, and then the, maybe it was the line that made me take, take a different look. Not that I wanted to play Sultan, but I was just I thought it would be maybe a little tighter. I'm like, well, let me get to my tape study on that, and uh, and yeah, that's where I end up. All right, I gotta speed this up here. Sorry, uh, Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos for Sean Strickland. Um, I love both these guys, but I'm gonna keep this short because you should stay away. Uh, I don't even know if this is going to make my avoid list, but it might just for that reason because it's such a tight fight, and, and the odds say so to Elizu minus 130, Strickland plus 110. That's about where I stand on it. My pick my pick is DeSantos. Uh, I just simply think he's going to outwork him. Um, his wrestling is not that uh, high percentage, and, and you know the percentages don't tell the details, but but Sean Strickland has – just look at his you – know, he, has, he has made improvements to his counter-wrestling. Yeah, he got – Again, got big boy, but big brother, but it was by Kamaru fucking Usman. So I mean, you can't look too much into that. But then you know the Court McGee fight. You know the, the, he didn't look the greatest in that. So I mean that can that 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 can sway you too. It's it, it's tough. It's it's you know Strickland's a talented dude. You could see the potential when he's doing things, and from the people he trains with, he hears such good things. But it's just. It just seems like he's, he, it's so hard for him to put it together to see his potential. Even in wins, it feels like, you know. Uh, whereas Lesky Dos, Dos Santos is going to come out and scrap and fight hard for your money every time. Um, so he's going to be the pick here. He's in Brazil. All right, Davi Ramos minus 145. Nick Hine plus 125. Nick Hine? Um, he still looks jacked as ever going into this. Looks like he's training uh, all around from Tiger Muay Thai to Dynamics in L.A. with uh, some people there. Um I could see him making it deceptively tough. Uh, I was looking at Hine here uh, just as maybe an underdog, but no, the line is right. He is an, he is a live dog at, at plus 125. That is a respectable line. But the pick is Davi Ramos, taking his career very seriously, not just a jiu-jitsu guy dabbling in MMA. You know, you listen to his interviews, and you look at his training regimens, you know, and, you know try, trying to eat the right stuff. You see his diet and uh, paying off in his body. He's looking better at each camp. Uh, training team Noguera, doing doing training other places, um, just training with high level guys. Uh, you know, you know he had, had some had some scary moments against Grutzmacher, but Grutzmacher is no slouch if you actually go watch his footage. And I think he proved that to everybody, right? Again, in Granajolo's on, yeah. Same with the Mike Powell thing. These are guys that are on their way out. All due respect, but still, let's not take away anything from those wins, um, uh, which I, I believe translates. Uh, into the relevant talk where, uh, here for Davi Ramos, I, I think he, I think he, he takes it here. He, he could get a submission. He is Davi Ramos. He, his gorilla squeeze is insane, but but Hine is just tough to get a position on. Uh, just stout frame, good base and balance in that judo, um, and his stick and move sensibilities could make it real tough. But it's hard for me to see Hine kind of stick and move to a decision against in Brazil against a guy who's pressuring for like Ramos. I got Ramos by decision. Um, yeah, I don't got anything on that one. Uh, all right, Junior Albini, uh, minus 155. Alexi Olnik, plus 135. Um, this one, I am playing. Uh, I'm probably, I'm, I'm playing, I don't know if it's going to be my article. It, it, it actually probably will be. Um, it's uh, Olenek Albini won't see round three, which is minus 150, because I actually have Junior Albini, and he's minus 155. I think he's the justified favorite, minus 155. Um, if Arlovsky... This narrative wasn't so bad, and Junior Albini didn't just look so uh, poor and retarded, I dare say. Uh, I think Junior Albini would even come into this fight with a higher line because actually I think he's the stylistic 
prototype that's bad for Olenek. Olenek has always been plotting, and he just he lets guys tease off on him. And as soon as he feels guys tease off on, t- t- starts teeing off on him, he'll plant his feet and just start swinging. And sometimes he'll get a knockout. We've seen it, right? Uh, but it's not the the best thing to count on, um, as we've seen too. I mean, you can knock down a guy like Travis Towner. Brown or Rochelle, but Albini, to his credit, does show to have a chin. And more importantly, he's bad because against a plotting guy like Olenek, Jr. Albini is a very mobile heavyweight. That's his best thing. Uh, he weighed in at 266 this morning, so it's hard to say where he's going to be at. But he looked, it's hard, you know, especially when guys that heavy with that physique, especially that weird of a physique. But I'll just say this, he's looked fatter before for what that's worth. So, uh, and even when he has looked fatter before, he still moves really well. And that's what he's going to need. Shows decent counter-wrestling. Gotta hope he's going to be smart enough to not use the wrestling. But if he's dumb and slips up, I believe Olenek will make him pay. Which is why I believe fight won't start round three is is, is a better bet. 150 is a playable line. It's cheaper than the deserved favorite. And covers you for the veteran upset in case Albini, well, his intelligence wraps the, matches the level of nickname. The babies. That's what I think of. Uh, what is it? Ninja Turtles two, the Shredder. The babies. Sorry, Junior Albini. That's what I always hear. <laughs> Carl Robertson minus one fifteen. Caesar Fajeda minus one oh five. Caesar Fajeda was an underdog. I was looking at. Apparently, other people are too because he's minus one oh five now, creeping up. That said, I I I I I, I got some faith with Carl Robertson here. I mean, he's been spending the last couple years now training up with Nicotone uh, Camp. Uh, over in New Jersey with uh, Corey Anderson uh, as his main training partner. And say what you will, Corey Anderson's a great training partner for a stick-and-move guy looking for reactive takedowns, uh, like Cesar Fajeda will be doing if he's smart for this fight. Um, I don't blame you for picking Fajeda, uh, or either guy, really, because uh, it's one of those fights where it's like, oh, they could could see a knockout or a submission, right? Fajeda's chin, uh, you know, if you want to stereotype that, it's a stereotyping Robertson's glory kickboxing. But it's also, it's tricky, right? It's a matchup of two southpaws, and neither of them have a really good sample size against southpaws. Uh, Fajeda has been knocked out by a notable southpaw, though, for sure, which was obviously Sam Alvey. Um, let me see who else. I should have already, I should already had this uh, chambered. Um, and lost, like, Swiss stance guys, which is controversial, and, uh, you know, Lice Theodoru. Um, and yeah, no, that's about it. Yeah, no, no notable southpaws that I see. None that I see. But yeah, uh, so, you know, you know who else has a really dangerous left hand is Carl Robertson. And uh, and again, he's showing that he's got good counter wrestling in the cage in the open. He's got a strong base and balance. I mean, you see it not from just the MMA and, and takedown defense, which is most important, but even in his striking, obviously. He's good about keeping his weight underneath him, which is probably why he delivers so much power in what can be short, short, quick shots. Um, and, and yeah, those short, quick shots even translate in the clinch uh, against the fence, as you know, we saw Dana White uh, contender series. And then showing off his grappling, I mean, that transition from the toss that he hits on uh, Darren Stewart was just super impressive. I mean... Uh, I'm not ready to bet against this kid, and I've been one to to kind of... To kind of uh, I've been picking Fayette in a lot of these fights since his knockout uh, stint, so I'm not one that I don't feel that I overly write off Fajeda's skill set at all. Um, but but I will be siding with Robertson. Not a confident pick though. Um, not a confident pick. Not sure if this one will end up on the the avoid list. But yeah. All right, let's just jump into the main card and finish it out. Uh, if I skip through these, the I go through these in depth. By the way, on um, MMA Junkie. Uh, dot com. So, those are probably up now as you're listening to this. Vitor Belfort plus two thirty favorite. Leota Machida minus two seventy. I mean, when you got old guys who are shot who can both knock each other out, not shot, but you know their chins maybe. Um, I'm actually pulling up my notes as you can hear for, 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 the, for, for this one. Just a certain stat I'm looking at. Ah. Uh, it's easy to see why like people. Are, Betting Vitor Belfort just just for the value uh, the value I hate that word but that's kind of what this scenario points to right here. Um, by the way, Vitor Belfort two and two against UFC Southpaws Machida one and three. He was zero and three until his last fight. This will be Machida's fifth straight Southpaw that he's facing. By the way, um, Machida knocked down three of his last four, or not 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 or knocked knocked out or stopped, knocked down out or stopped. Whereas uh, 
Vitor Belfort um, dropped and stopped in four of his last six. All right. Um, and those numbers would slightly actually point to Machida being the more at-risk guy. But I'm making Ilyota Machida here. Uh, I'm siding with the numbers. Uh, I think he's going to stick and move his way to a very frustrating staring contest. Um, I don't think he's going to give Vitor the bites that he likes. I think Vitor did show a lot to his credit, whether you thought he won against Nate Marquardt or not, uh, showing that he could maintain uh, for three rounds. And uh, But if he does that against Machida, um, I think Machida is going to hit him much more than Nate and possibly even go look for the takedowns as much as Nate. He, you know, Nate had a crazy athletic takedown to his credit. That was really cool going back to watching his fight with Vitor. But uh, I don't think... Leoto will be hitting anything like that, but Leoto does have, have have slick foot sweeps. And regardless if a guy gets older and his back issues or not, a foot sweep uh, doesn't require a level change. So I wouldn't be surprised to see those tricks come out, uh, Machida, here, especially as like round two on. That's not something Machida usually does in the first, unless he's really fucking feeling his rhythm, which I don't think he is. Uh, we all know Vitor, even at his worst, is dangerous in the first. All right, um, no plays there. Uh, Brian Kelleher, plus 215. John Lineker, mi- minus 255. Uh, I don't blame anybody for playing Kelleher here. Uh, the pick was Lineker going in, and the pick was Lineker going out, but not um, as strong, not not minus 255 strong. Maybe like minus 190, minus 185. Maybe not minus 255 strong. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people from, from, from you know, fighters, sharps, Joe's alike uh, feel it's a bad matchup for Brian. Um, when I got around to looking at it, I actually felt a little better about it, but it ultimately came down to one thing for me. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Brian Keller, by the way. His style, I love it. I love these building styles. I love these guys that are just wild men in transit. They'll put themselves in bad position, even if it costs them, which it does to Brian Kelleher. Um, but... Uh, the wrestling wasn't strong enough for me to get him here. That 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 seems to be the common thing with Lineker. You have to have T.J. Dillashaw, Ali Bogatinov, EPL level wrestling, right, to to get uh to get past old Lineker there. Um, and uh, yes, Lineker got guillotined, and Keller has a dangerous guillotine. Sure, that was early in Lineker's career. That was just this crazy dog fight. Lineker like thinks he's in a pro wrestling match. He thinks it's going to be cool to scoop slam Bogatinov and ends up uh, giving him an arm in. Uh, an arm in arm trapped uh, like BJ Penn style, but with a guillotine instead of the rear naked choke. Right, if anyone remembers that fight, great fight though, great fight to go back and watch. Um, Luis Godno, that was the flyweight. Um, but 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 you know, Lineker's got a dangerous takedown himself, which will be interesting because I know in the breakdown, like I'm curious to see if Kelleher because he's not really that lights out of a wrestler. Like he'll shoot and he can chain he he'll chain off you know with success but he has to either chain or like get guys at the clinch and work like a three or four step kind of variation a lot of the times right uh and Lineker underrated takedown defense underrated's getting better and better okay so that kind of shuts it down for me but i wonder though if 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 Kelleher reverse engineers his guillotine cuz you see him do it all the time it's how he almost got Stasiak with it and it's how he got Yuri Alcantara got Holy Arce in the regional scene he'll let guys shoot and that's part of the reason why maybe he doesn't take, you know, he gets taken down a lot too, is because I know it. I'm a guy who likes guillotines as well, and you want a guy to commit to the takedown before you can get the guillotine. If you go for your guillotine too early, they're going to defend it, and you're going to get taken down. But if you kind of start giving the takedown, it's very high. It sounds high risk, and it is. But if you start giving a guy the takedown, it means they've committed, which means they're committing to some type of one of your level levers or legs to get you taken down. If their hands are busy doing something on the mat, on your legs, what are they not doing? They're not protecting your neck. So that's what Kelleher does. Now, I wonder if he reverse engineers that. And since his takedowns are maybe not the most high percentage and he's going against a guy who's probably going to sprawl out on him, he gives him his neck on purpose, baiting Lineker to go for it. And then it's just defend the choke and you're out you're on top he's in your world uh where we see lineker with his wrestling improvements aside still shows to struggle again tj dillashaw sure but you look at the things that lineker was doing still shows to struggle there that said at the end of the day it's lineker's pressure and the fact that kelleher is a pressure fighter at the end of the day as well um and when I have to stack them both up, the sample sizes, even though Kelleher is a very deceptive sample size, mind you, go see who he's fought on the regional scene. Really good guys. Andy Main, a guy who I, I, I've actually got, got to get to train with a little bit when, when he was at Alliance. Um, 
and that guy's a talent at featherweight. Uh, and a lot of those were at featherweight, mind you, as well, too. Uh, so getting a real big fan of Kelleher, but he needs pressure. And when I stack both their resumes together, John Lineker's output, his pressure, and his durability is more proven. Um, not that Kelleher's not. He's never been stopped. I'm not saying that. But if I have to pick for who's more proven, we got to make a pick here. That's Lineker. So I'm going with Lineker, but Kelleher's live. All right, Amanda Cooper, plus 215. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, minus 255. I imagine the number's going to drop a bit, but mind you, I believe fighters who miss weight are undefeated, so I elected to not change my pick. But again, um, I'm not at ease about that. And even without this weight miss, I would be telling you the same thing. Amanda Cooper is live. I felt that I was pretty respectful in the breakdown, but uh, but uh, it's okay. She's she's going to have the right to tell me and everybody else I told you so uh, as much as she wants after this. And even though she does tend to have a toot on her, I love, I fucking love her attitude going into this one, man. I fucking love it, man. I do. Uh, I love the, po- the, the the positive confidence going in, the visualization. And that's exactly how I visualize her winning. Uh, she does. is tagging her on the way in, working her angles, counters. And uh, after defending a few sloppy shots and surviving close some close scares, getting a TKO in the second round. I agree, Amanda Bobby Cooper. But uh, Mackenzie Dern, even though she does appear to take shots in her victories more than is comfort- I'm comfortable with, um, she appears to be durable and have pop in her shots and doesn't let it dissuade her, even if she does admit to not like liking to get hit. So that was a big key to me. If I saw any chinks in that armor, I'd be hitting the fade button until I saw something definitively different. But I haven't seen that yet. I haven't. I haven't seen a lot to like. Don't get me wrong. I haven't seen the crazy high ceiling. I'm not saying that. Believe me. But I'm, I haven't seen the uh, shaky get-away-from-punches kind of triggers. I don't mention any names, but, you know. Um, yeah, so I've, I haven't seen that. So, uh, And we've seen that from men and women, by the way, so that's not a gender thing, by the way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I haven't seen it. And, uh, you know, you can't really judge much from pad work. You don't know what she's doing. She's away from the MMA lab. Now she's working with Black House and then over at Checkmat. But with the striking she was doing at Black House, um, I was seeing her doing something she wasn't doing before. I don't know if she's going to translate it from pads. It's super basic. But not a lot of fighters even do it on pads. And it's something that I always uh, drill. It's it's huge. Uh, it's rolling under your two. When you throw your two, you throw your cross and you roll underneath. I always point to Michael Chandler's career when he was working with a boxing coach when uh, we was Extreme Couture. Uh, we, we were both training there. And I got the pleasure to work with this guy um, in, in mid-sessions, uh, it was, which was uh, Gil Martinez. And Gil always had uh, Chandler rolling under the two, and you saw that with the Patricky fight. He was getting under Patricky's counters, um, the one before uh, Alvarez, so that got him to the Alvarez fight. You saw it in the Alvarez fight. And then when he went over to Alliance, you kind of heard Mike in the recent Rogan podcast politely saying it. I think that's what he was talking about, the, striking, uh, the training he was unhappy with was the striking training going in there as a wild man because you just saw him. Remember, after after he won the title, he just went with his wild man approach. And even in these wins before the Alvarez rematch, he was kind of going in with this ridiculous, like, he was getting hit way too much by guys he shouldn't have been hitting hit with. Like, you saw him abandon all that boxing technique and that, you know. Again, it's the importance of rolling under the two. Sorry, that was a tangent there. All right, uh, my alarm's probably going to go off in like five minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and adjust this. But, uh, but yeah, um, I, I st- I, that said, I still see Dern. She doesn't have the greatest wrestling, by the way, either. Like Her shots are failing most of the time, too. But she gets the body lock and she creates scrambles. And that's the one thing is Bobby Cooper, That's the she's she's really good from the back. She'll do last-minute arm bars. She'll do up-kick sweeps. She's got a lot of stuff from her back. She's, got, she's not a slouch on the ground, and she can scramble well, but she chooses to scramble too much against people she shouldn't, and that's why she has submission losses. So it's like, it's deceptive, right? It's like, oh, she has submission losses and you're predicting her to lose by submission. Well, yeah, but uh, in her defense, and she, she says this too, and this, in her defense, it, it's true. It, you can't judge her by those because she actually is a pretty decent, uh, better grappler than you would, you, you, you would imagine. It's just she's choosing to scramble with the wrong people at the wrong times, and it's leading to these submission losses. So until I see that difference, um, I, I got to pick Dern here. But it's not a confident pick, and I'll be happy to be proven wrong. Believe me, be happy to be proven wrong. All right, Kelvin Gaslin plus one thirty, Ronaldo Souza minus one fifty. Coming event time. Um, Ronaldo Souza, it, uh, geez, I don't have his record against Southpaws in front of me either right now. But uh, I'll, I'll pull it up. But uh, 
I want. To, I was leaning toward Kelvin Gastelum initially. You guys know me. I'm a real big Kelvin Gastelum guy. I picked him a lot um, as underdog. Uh, he's been a bit, very good underdog for myself. Um, eight and two against UFC Southpaws. That's right. That's probably what leaned me toward a uh, little Jock Ray Souza's eight and two against UFC Southpaws, uh, or last ten years at least in his career. Um, but uh, Ronaldo Souza looked like come back to life, man, and. Uh, you know, training with Mike Perry isn't necessarily sound like the promised land, but but to be honest, he relocated to the United States to Florida, and with his experience, um, it's not necessarily the bad thing when you go to those more individualized training camps and more uh, controllable training environments, which apparently was the big selling point, the big difference, and it was more than talk. The proof was in the pudding. It showed in his last fight, and let's be honest, his physique didn't look that great in, in his losses, and we thought that might have been speculation. It was right around that 2015 USADA turning point against Yo Romero. You know, Yo Romero was a beast in that, uh, and, and it was a close fight. And I picked Yo Romero to win, so there's no shame in losing that fight. But, uh, you know, and I picked, you know, Whitaker to beat him too. So it wasn't that, like, you can just blame that Souza didn't look good. That's not what I'm saying here. I don't want to take anything away from Romero Whitaker. Top guys in the division, by the way. But Souza also, you know, physique-wise, didn't quite look himself. He had the surgery, you know, you had the health things. Anyways... Um, there's a bit of that, so, uh, sorry, alright, cool, there's a bit of that, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think Sousa can, can, can you know, I th is there going to be a speed disadvantage, a striking disadvantage, absolutely, can, can Gaslin let him up in the first round, absolutely, but I just think Sousa's going to be able to get the wrestling off, because Gaslin and victory and defeat, he lets guys get in his hips on him too much, you know. We saw it with Neil Magny, and Neil Magny's underrated, so I tried not to look into that too much. But you really go back, and it's there. And I kick myself, because I my first pick was to go with a wide man by submission, by abusing him <laughs> from that position when he goes to, to, to turtle, let him in on his hips. And, of course, I went with my boy KG. I was swayed. But, uh maybe call this overcorrecting, but no, you know, Ronaldo uh, Souza knows when to shoot. He doesn't waste time. Uh, he's more efficient with his shots in wrestling as far as, you know, than Weidman, arguably, in the sense of when when he does it. Um, so for that reason, the pick is Souza here. A play, though, that may make it. It's kind of being competitive right now. It's Gaslam, Souza, one start round three, minus 149. Again, Souza, the, the, the justifiable favorite, minus 150. So 149, technically cheaper. I know by one point, technically cheaper price, but but more importantly, a still playable price and covers a Gastelum knockout. I just, I have a hard time. I feel like the first round is going to be the it's going to it's going to it's going to tell us the story of the fight. And if it does, guys, stylistic stylings compared to the other guy where they're where they've been they've been weak at. Well, it's hard to see it hitting that third round. So I'll, I don't blame you for playing it. I'll be playing it regardless. It may or may not make the article. Keep an eye out at MMA Junkie for that. Main event time. A man, a Raquel Pennington plus 600. Amanda Nunes minus 900. Um, by the way, I don't title the articles at MMA Junkie, though. I don't, I don't have an issue. Uh, I'm glad they gave Shina Pennington by showing why, you know, she shouldn't be overlooked because I do believe that is correct. That was the theme of my breakdown, but I just know dummies that don't read the article they just read the headline and go hey he picked Nunes but said you shouldn't overlook Pennington what an idiot anyways but uh people that actually read the breakdown will see though that, that that I do state a good case for Pennington essentially I could see a scenario you know Pennington who's, who's really durable uh, hasn't been stopped by strikes um if she can keep it on the feet or survive on the ground when, if Amanda Nunes does take it to the ground. Because Amanda Nunes not just has a judo base of trips and, and, and head and arms throws and hip tosses, but she also has improved wrestling. Um, she will shoot for doubles and change her level, right? If Pennington can survive that, I can see her working her way back into the fight. She works at a really good pace and output. Really good left hand, really good jab, variates at levels. I could see her even just, even if she can just pop some jabs and kind of get Nunes's head, we've seen it. We've seen uh, Shevchenko with a super low volume just land, uh, land a few quality shots on Nunes, and that changes the, the, the you know that changes the course of the fight. Even an improved at the top of her game, Amanda Nunes, that was impressive. That we saw her last time out, we still saw that affect her volume. Right, it still was a close fight. You, you could you love Nunes, score it for her. That's cool. I'm not. Uh, disagreeing with that. Uh, hell, I'm even co-signing. I was impressed. It was a, a great performance by Nunes. All that being said, 
It still was a close fight. It still was a low-output fight. And she was still clearly affected by the very few shots that landed. Those are facts as well. Um, and, you know, Pennington, not, not some knockout artist, right, or anything like that. She's more of a volume striker. But she, she's no pushover, too. She's, she's, she's not exactly like a, you know, a pillow fist for the ladies go. You know, she could, keyword could, we don't know. It's, it remains to be seen. I, at least I could easily see a scenario where she pops her and doesn't rock her and knock her out, but gets in Nunez's head and allows her to work her way back in the fight. Now, she's, that being said, she could justifiably work her way back into the fight, and the judge is still not going to give it to her, right? We've seen that with Amanda Nunez's fights with Shevchenko. Um, but even with a volume, more volume striker like Pennington, we could still see that. We're, I hate to say it, but we're in Brazil. Um, we could still see that there. Um, and, and Pennington's jiu-jitsu is the one thing that I think is, has been quietly improving. It's always been underrated. You know, Most of her wins are by submission, too. Deceptive amateur record. Um, you know, Again, I think she's really underrated there. And the thing is, even though Amanda Nunes, her best shot, uh, maybe finishing on the ground through a ground and pound stoppage, like something a trade of forcing the ref to stop or hurting her on the feet and then getting the finish, I think that's how m- most people could see it going, or I could even see it going the decision. I actually was torn. I ended up siding with more toward a late stoppage, but wouldn't be surprised, I believe I said in the breakdown, by going to decision. Um, where was I going with that? But, oh, that's the same, but if that fails, especially with the ground stuff, right, like Pennington fails, wrestling takes a lot of energy, and, you know, Nunez, I think, proved a lot of us with the the cardio, but that wasn't, that last fight wasn't the most torrid pace, though, right? So, again, there's two two factual sides of that coin that we could play off of here. So, if Pennington can survive and push the face, it's going to make the fight real interesting, a lot more interesting than minus 900 plus 600. Uh, my fantasy team is Amanda Nunez, John Lineker, Junior Albini, Kelvin Gastelum, Alberto Mina, Sultan Alive. Uh, straight place possibly going to be Hermanson. Uh, won't see round three is uh, Alexi Olnik, Albini, Gastelum, and Souza. Both of those are pretty much the same price, minus 150, minus 149. I'll probably be throwing 1.5 units on that. Cesar Fajeda, Carl Robertson won't go the distance, minus 170. I'm putting 1.75 units on that. Avoid Perez, Baknevic. Alves Aleve, Mina Amiv, and probably a couple others uh, that you should that may or may not be on the list. Um, thanks again for listening. Thanks for sticking with me after this three-week break. Um, I'm not even going to ask for any ratings or any click-throughs. I don't deserve it. So just thank you guys. Enjoy the weekend. Good luck on your plays. And always protect your dance.